0: Welcome to another pint with Shawnee B, all the way again from New York, with a good pal of mine, who uh, I have down as probably my greatest hire, would you believe? Uh, even though he can be a cranky fucker from time to time. Uh, he's also from my hometown. We grew up, didn't know each other in Dublin, but we grew up probably four or five miles away from each other. Yeah. So, very pleased to welcome to the podcast, uh, my good friend, Gordon McLean. How are you? How hey, are you, Sean? Have you been on a podcast before? <laughs> no, I haven't actually. Right. I don't think I've ever been interviewed. Are you part... Are you, you haven't been interviewed before? I don't think so, no. Oh, well, this is the first. So this is basically two guys. We we first met each other in J. Walter Thompson uh, in New York uh, in about 2008, I'd say. And then uh, Gordy went off on his travels. Uh, he's married to a lovely Turkish lady called Ekin. And they went to Turkey, so we'll hear all about that. And then we, I brought him back to New York to work with me and BBDO. And uh I got slung out of there, but he's still here six <laughs> years later and powering up the ladder. So uh, where where in Dublin are you from? Talla. Old bone Drive. Old Drive really specific. Only known to me really for Sunday football matches where we used to trek yeah. all the way out. The there. field across yeah. the across the way. Yeah. I yeah. used to play yeah. like under twelves out there and get beaten usually. Uh what was it like for our listeners growing up in Talla? Uh
1: I mean it was one of those places that Everybody knew Tala had a reputation. If you got your car stolen, that's where you'd find it.
0: But horses was, running down horses.
1: There. Yeah, that kind of came a little bit later. The horse thing. It was a few, uh, fashionable magazines did some like black and white beautiful editorials of yeah. horses in Ballymont Elevate, you yeah. know, stuff like that. But it was it these was,
0: would be tra- usually traveling people, I guess. i have got to watch out what we call them, but the, you know. The, Shire horses That would have been used To pull carts And, and, and they often escape And go galloping down yeah, The gym You saw a bit
1: of that Up in West Hall As well I was actually born In a place called Springfield Which is which is what Is called West Hall Now So if anybody knows that It's kind of Beyond the square I suppose And then When I was about 10 I moved to another part And um, Yeah I suppose There was some comfort In growing up in a place Like that You'd often hear About New York Which is funny now Living in New York Because New York Is so gentrified And so It's just safe Nice yeah. you know, Interesting place to live but back then, New York was a more dangerous place than Tala, so that was yeah. some relief. If I was to boil my life down into two or three sort of lessons, one of them at least is the benefit of failure. And when I was not a, a very average kid academically, put it down to just having no direction, I couldn't see the purpose of it. I realised subsequently that I need a goal, I need some kind of specific ambition in order to, to sort of devise a strategy. And if I would had some driving goal at the time that would have made sense of education, I probably would have had a more strategic approach, says the planner, to my education. And I I didn't have the goal, so therefore I sort of spent most of my education tuned out.
0: I would actually agree with that about you, because even the times we've worked together, you do get cranky if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel or you don't understand where that is. Yeah. But if you have it, you just roll up the sleeves and get, get yeah, stuck I in. Do I was the same in school. I was a, I call myself a straight C student. Right. Which is basically what I got in my leaving.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would describe me. And I can still really remember that time, you know, we finished school, burnt my school tie in June, you know, set fire to it in the back garden it was kind of a ceremonial saying goodbye to school. And I really couldn't stand school. I couldn't stand school from the first day, actually, that I went to, to primary school, but all the way through to the end, which for some people is a great shame. For me, it seemed like there was no other option. Yeah. So we enjoyed the summer, beers in the park, friends, living it up, freedom yeah. at last. And then September, October came around, and this, I'll never forget it, like many people went off and got jobs, but a few people went off to college. I didn't even realise they were going to college. It was suddenly, there yes. was the plans of other people made themselves known. By the time the dust of the, the the sort of summer dust had settled,
0: but was your school not trying to push you into that? No no <laughs> <laughs> um, why would they think of something so brain hair as that
1: yeah i don't I, it was sort of it remained a, a pretty it was a bit of a mystery to me then afterwards going, what meeting did I miss and now look i 'm not sort of um, passing off my responsibilities I mean clearly, I chose to miss that meeting, but somehow it it, it was a revelation to me that. Other people had plans.
0: But wait, you, had you applied for college? No. But there was every school year and six, the whole thing is get your leaving and then yeah, well, the
1: not, not for me and I either like i blanked that out in my mind right. that I opted out of it consciously or So I what just did wasn't you included. think was gonna happen when you left school? I figured I'd get a job of some sort. Right. And it was as vague as that and so my dad, who who had run his own business for about I'd say 10, 10 years or so doing gone, what? He was an electrician and he right. he then set up after he went out on his own and he was selling you know sort of automation equipment and so on to you know large companies that were moving into Ireland Intel a big plant and leak slip he sold a lot to them okay. one, of his, one of his clients so he took me on then I started to work with him uh, you know I was working as a Sparks sidekick I suppose you could yeah. call it a sparky sidekick um, very so did you basic. learn about
0: electric, being an electrician
1: no cause I, so I was doing that as a way to do you know, stay off the street, I suppose, it was just a job. But where some people might have thought, Okay, well this is an opportunity, I'll serve my time, get a trade. Yeah. It didn't do anything for me. So I was in that awkward and frustrating position for my parents where I was very dissatisfied with what I was doing, but I had no clue what the alternative would be. And that was a pretty sort of a paralyzing place to be because yeah, you could feel the frustration with parents mounting, like, if you if you don't know where you want to go, you've got this in front of you and you don't want that either.
0: Did you have a lot of mates?
1: Uh, I had a few, and they were sort of happy to just get a job and roll. But right. somehow there was something in me that was dissatisfied all around with what I had, and I suppose, again, it was the lack of objective. I yeah. couldn't see what might be over the hill. I think when there's something inside you that says, I feel like there's something over the hill. Yeah. But I can't for the life of me figure the path out through it. And I was want, Ireland I know the I don't, I don't want to be here. I think so. I made Ireland the problem because I was so... Yeah, that sense, that sense of kind of being lost. Yeah. And uh, it's easy to then blame family, country, friends, this, yeah. that, the other, yourself. A tendency then to perhaps want to walk away. But I will say that, you know, even though what I'm describing now sounds like it was some kind of like walk through the darkness for years, it was really swift realisation come September, October. I worked through that year. And then at some point during the year, I realised, okay, well, I don't, really know where I'm going to go but some kind of education would be better I feel like I want to do better and so that feels like a reasonable stepping stone so I went and I did a I remember at the time my mum was helping I think the local council with some it, it, was, a, it was a sort of a counselling role in its own right actually it was helping people who had been bereaved or who had uh, you know troubles at home and, and she found it very interesting and I found what she described very interesting and it because it was dealing with emotion. I was dealing with a lot of that myself at the time. It was dealing with complexity and people who were somehow lost themselves, and I found some kind of kinship in that. So at the time when it came then to, to choosing some kind of educational path forward, I ended up doing a two-year national
0: diploma in social care in Whitehall Senior College okay. and on the Whitehall Road. For were, you in, were you in on yourself a bit back then? Like were you were you inside your were you inside your own head without really any way of getting or talking to anyone yourself? Was that
1: yeah? I think uh, you know again it's that feeling of like you feel like there's something more but you can't quite point to it or or articulate. I think the other interesting part or important part of the puzzle was shortly after I left school, I met a met a French girl who was visiting Dublin, and she was a couple of years older than me and. She said, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm just starting to work with my dad, and I'll figure things out. And I said, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm just starting a Masters of the Sorbonne in France, in Paris. <laughs> you're ba- you're and batting above <laughs> your <poker> average there. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was definitely out of my league. So, But nevertheless, I dated that girl for a few years, and right. she was a huge influence on me, actually. And... Um, You know, when you start to get close to someone like that who initially you think is completely out of your league and you develop a bond with them and you realise we're on the same wavelength. I can't really be in a different league. We just come from different circumstances. Yeah. And that was a huge lesson for me as well. I thought, okay, well if she's capable of it and she was likely very much, you know, a lot smarter than I, but still I thought I'm I'm not on the other end of the spectrum either. If she can do that should be really trying to aim high. So how did
0: that relationship run? Then was it you were over and back to Paris? Yeah,
1: it was a long distance thing, and I would take a few weeks off and I'd go over. And you know, I was only eighteen; she was twenty, and right. uh, uh, she would work in the Saint Lazare station in Paris. She lived in the suburbs. We would travel in forty-five minutes, very early in the morning. She'd start her seven a.m. shift till two p.m. selling tickets in the Eurostar. And while she was working, I would walk all over Paris. Okay. And so I know Paris pretty well, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I hadn't didn't much money at the time, but had a lot of time in my hands, and it was a great, you know, it was just a great yeah, period. It is and a great walking to see And I, you know, I always had a sort of romantic side to me, so that was a really interesting time. And then, so meantime, in the meantime, then I did the uh, the two year national diploma. And I suppose this is, a, I guess, the other lesson in life is sort of. One is a more strategic lesson where having an objective helps you to form a strategy and helps you to kind of get somewhere but then there's also you have to leave a little bit of room for serendipity because I w- set off and I, I thought you know what I'll do this national diploma and despite the fact that almost everybody asked me so what are you going to do with that? Are you going to be a counsellor or something? Are you going to yeah. be a sociologist? Like I couldn't answer any of them and it, it seemed almost pointless because I couldn't make a good case for it. One of the tutors this is how ignorant I was one of the tutors who was a Northern Irish woman turned to me and said by the way you know your grades are excellent by the way um, and because at that point I'd switched on and I was getting distinctions right. on every subject she said your grades are excellent you could go to university with this I said really she said you go to university in England uh, because this is a British qualification by the way it's a BTEC. Okay. so she said this you know there are many most of the universities in England will accept this as, a, as an entry qualification so all of a sudden I suddenly you know, you can't see the path through the There's a light switched on. There's a light. You yeah. suddenly go, oh, my God, this is like... That was, the, that was the thing that had me sort of emigrate, if you like. You know, hmm. went home and said, look, I could go to university with this. And the, at the time, England hadn't brought in tuition fees. So, you know, my parents were good enough to say, well, we'll support you with that and we'll pay your rent. I went off to, uh, to do a degree in psychology at a, a university in a place called Sheffield in England. Mm-hmm. A really lovely town, warm people very real people and a huge number of students there was a big college of higher education two big universities and that was I think the most transformative experience of my life and I still remember getting the boat out of Dunleary and sort of waving goodbye the to the whole maudlin
0: track looking <laughs> back at the, the pigeon house fading into yeah, the distance and, uh, like many an emigrant before yeah,
1: yeah it was very uh, it, was, it was a really poignant memorable moment and I thought I wonder if I'll come back here. to Do well. I figured I'd come back, but I wondered if I'd ever come back for good. And yeah. uh, but I met the most amazing like people. You know, I met my friends for life there. Like the, the friends that you call brothers. What was interesting about Sheffield was I walked out of a very unhappy place that easy to point to Ireland, but really sat with myself and in my own head. Yeah. And. ...with a change of environment and a complete step change in terms of... ...all of a sudden I was going to university. Yeah. Everything changed and a fresh start and you what you, no one cares where you're from... ...or whether you you know, fucked up your leave insert or you just start again. Mm. And at that point it was interesting to be Irish as well. Yeah. 1996. Yeah. Accent took you a long way. Yeah, still <laughs> Absolutely amazing. It was uh, freedom, but freedom with purpose.
0: And then you got this university degree then in what? In psychology. So
1: you know that it's probably a good thing to have a degree, but there's a bit of dissuasion on either side of you and people are kind of like, point out, you going, that sounds like a lot of bollocks. The age thing at the time, you're thinking, should I be working at this point? Yeah. You know, I'm 21 or 22. And yeah. Then I was 24 by the time I finished my degree. So then this is again another bit of serendipity falls in, into is handed to me.
0: Mm.
1: I am... Um, Starting to freak out when I'm in my third, coming towards my finals. What am I going to do? I realise now when you come out, even with a degree, it's really only the start. You know, mm-hmm. you just, uh, you know, you have, a, you do have more advantages than others without it. I will yeah. say that. One of my tutors mentioned two PhD scholarships that were going that year, mm-hmm. and I thought I'll try for one of those. So I um, put a pitch together. Western Europe was getting involved militarily in a lot of humanitarian conflicts. Mm -hmm. We remember things like, you know, Kosovo, Bosnia, Mm. missions that were framed up in the service of humanity. And it seemed very counter to the narrative that you would hear typically around military, which is very masculine, very forceful about domination and so on. And all of a sudden, you're seeing the Western military take on what you might argue are more feminine characteristics. Mm -hmm. And so I was very interested in the role of gender. And gendered identities and masculine, female um, identities within the Western
0: military. I'm not sure where it would have gone. A bit like the guy who became a woman, Bradley. No, it's a joke. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, but the, I mean, but the God, scholarship was in
1: education. It was right. it was three years paid for, and uh, it was a research scholarship, and I right. could I had the freedom to choose my thesis but you know even then when I was doing the PhD there was still so what are you going to do with that yeah. you know? <laughs> so again the constant theme of like you know why 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 and yeah. yet I don't have a great answer for these things other than this just feels like I'm better off doing this than not yeah. Yeah. but there's still a, th- a certain kind of baggage around you going like would you not cop on and start making some money Yeah. so eventually I have to be honest that kind of got the better of me and right. I realised okay if I see this PhD through do I want to be an academic, and at some point you know either in a fid or or perhaps with more thought, I concluded you know I'd like to make a bit more money, which was great because previously I was talking about what job could I get now I'm thinking what career could I choose right and that's a real step change yeah and all of a sudden, I've gone from directionless to potentially a professional, so it was really up to me then to think about the field that I wanted to work in, and you know it's hard to explain how these things happen, but somehow, in my mind, I thought advertising always somehow fit, felt a little glamorous to me it felt uh, certainly it felt like people made money there mm. it felt creative and as it happens having a degree in psychology actually then helps you yeah, to be the I person think. that somehow allows companies and brands to get a handle on what their customers think mm. but I took the yellow pages out and I found anything that sounded vaguely advertising he wrote them all a letter yeah. and said well, could I join you for at least one day a week so I could get some work experience and I think three people wrote back one was quite abusive and, uh, <laughs> and one of them invited me for an interview so I put my Marks and Spencer suit on and I went in and the guy who went on to become my first boss explained what account planning was uh, and it's basically a bridge between the business and the consumer and the creative product You know, you'll operate between those three areas I said, that sounds great. Yeah. So he offered me a job. But it had some quite big clients, one of which was HSBC. Okay. And HSBC then was another key moment in my life.
0: The The Hong Kong-Shanghai Banking Corporation, which merged with Midland or something.
1: Yeah, so in England it acquired a whole lot of banks. Acquired Midland and then changed
0: the name to HSBC. That's
1: right. And I was dating a different girl at the time in London, and I was keen to get down south. Right. And HSBC was building a giant headquarters in Canary Wharf. And one of my clients said to me, look, we're, we're creating a, a communications planning department in this new headquarters. Would you join us? And I jumped at it. So all of a sudden then I went after two years in my first advertising job to join the bank down <coughs> in London. And I worked in...
0: What was that like?
1: Uh, it very quickly made me realize that the agency side is where I wanted to be. Right. But it also opened up um, the, the subsequent opportunity. So everything is a little stepping stone. Even yeah. if you can't see forward, each one is opening the next. And what happened was they did a round of redundancies after a year. And there's a lot of older people there. And I thought, I've it's going to be easy for me to get another job. These people don't want to leave their jobs. I'll put my hand up and I'll take. They had to let a number of people go. And I put yeah. my hand up, I'll take it. I left, and it took me about three or four months to find another job, living in London. But at some point then, after a number of Duff interviews, I get offered a job that I'm delighted to take, and three days after my starting day, the guy turns to me and says, there's a reason why we hired you. I said, what's that? He said, we're pitching for the HSBC business.
0: Ah, how Machiavellian.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's where I met a mutual friend of ours, Tal Adams. And Tal was leading the pitch. Ah. And so Tal says to me, you'll be very useful <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we went on and Al's a great friend of mine Anne Gordy's a great guy lives in Paris I'm hoping to have him on a podcast but he's so far he's saying he doesn't want to be on one so hopefully he will be so there we were pitching
1: for I mean at the time it was the largest pitch I think that had ever been it was a 300 million dollar global pitch JWT J. Walter Thompson or WPP was the holding company pitch yeah. they went on they won the business and then I worked on the agency side on the HSBC business again in London in London but the HSBC thing then opened another opportunity, which was to get me to America. Yeah, you did give up drinking at some point. What,
0: tell me that story? Yeah, well, that's a whole other sort of. When was that? You know, was that later? Or that's like a subplot in the whole. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> so, but it's important. I mean, no, it is important. These things that we're, we're talking about, what you've just done there, is this is this great sort of hindsight analysis of a life, which is, I think, really important that people a can see that uh, and and then can then pick as you have done the important things but at the time a lot yeah. of it's luck a lot of it's what the fuck do I do yeah, like yeah.
1: well you know Steve Jobs in that famous um, speech that commencement speech he did oh, yeah. at Stanford says it you can only join the dots in retrospect yeah. and that is absolutely of course it's true yeah, yeah. Um, so the drinking thing is interesting so naturally and I, you know, I suppose that this is again i pointing at my country as a way of explaining it but you know, we're good at drinking, yeah. and uh, and well, it's expected of us. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I, you know, around the same age as everyone else, I suppose, started drinking, and uh, I, you know, I would say by the time I left Ireland, I was definitely capable of putting them back mm-hmm. for sure, and uh, enjoyed drinking. And then when you go to college, of course, university, everyone's getting stuck in. So, yeah. where it starts to become more evident as a problem is then outside of that. When I started my PhD, I was outside the typical routine. I was by myself. Like yeah. the, the social thing had gone away and it was sort of real world, but without the real world money. Yeah. So, I was you know, starting to drink more then. And then, when I started working, you definitely have more money in your pocket and yeah. you're still trying to find You're in a foreign country, yeah. and I was definitely starting to slip into some pretty heavy drinking.
0: How would you define that? Like every night or
1: in I would say the, I would, say in, I would say in
0: the early part of my
1: career after the PhD, starting in my first agencies, you know, that's a fairly social environment. So yeah. you would go out on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. By the time then fast forward a few years to I would say my last two or three years before I left London. Then I was in a bad way, you know. That was every night, and that was a lot every night. Yeah. And but JWT had a great bar in yeah. Knightsbridge, yeah. and you know, you would start there, and then I'd continue when I got home.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I I think also one of the things is there is a a commonality of expectation from when you're younger in Ireland to go drinking. No doubt about that. Then there's. Like, are you a lad? Can you knock back eight pints and four Jack Daniel's and Coke and still be standing? Yeah. Or are you a collapser Or are you someone who gets angry? Or are you yeah, a good drunk? And you'll find these, you're drunk. Yeah, yeah. And then, but but that's actually the effect the alcohol has on different personality types. Yeah. Like I. For example, never drink tequila because I get punchy on tequila, yeah. and I give up the booze twice a year, as you know. Yeah. So I never have to give it up because I drink an awful lot, but yeah. I kind of don't do drugs. And like, you know, you're kind yeah, of yeah. you've got to kind of play, work out your repertoire that you can actually, f- you know, work within, or else it will creep up in you. And we all have the gene. Yeah. We, I think every Irishman has the gene. Yeah. And then, and where did you decide though to go right mucking it on the head? Like, was there a an event or was it just a kind of a i need to just pull this in a bit or?
1: well i think my well you know this is very interesting about drinking and so far as we you know people give uh, sort of more technical or fancy terms to these things but a you know a functional alcoholic there i was i was still young in my career but you know i was earning yeah. decent money yeah. and i was doing really well in work mm. i was rising up quite quickly uh, I was producing great thinking, great ideas, you know good campaigns, and yet I was hammering it every night and I guess that's when people talk about a functioning alcoholic that's an example I guess yeah. uh, you know you walk, you're, you're getting up each day with a hangover you're going to work you, by the time the lunchtime comes around you've perhaps shaken it off and then you're only a few hours before you're <laughs> adding it back on again and that's, that was getting out of control and you know that was a Monday through Thursday and then Thursday Friday, Saturday you really put on the gas yeah. yeah, and then near the end I wasn't seeing anybody my perfect night would be starting at 5 going
0: through till 3 uh, yeah. by myself Wow!
1: Yeah, and um,
0: and what? So tell me about that because that you talk about the little signs and go always drinking alone. But I always have found you a very introspective kind of guy. I mean, I think you 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 read a lot, and you're very happy sleuthing on things and going through. You know, like I mean, my so own company. Yeah. So 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 when you were sitting on your own, was it? Did you know the barman? Did you go to the same pub and just no, sit I, there? Did you no, I drink at home. Yeah. Oh, you drink at home. But yeah. did you watch movies, read, or was that your night in? Or was it was like, was there something else you were doing except drinking, or was it just drinking? It largely drinking. Okay. Yeah. okay. So then, how? what was the trigger then in your head that um, sort got you to go, right, this has to stop? Or was
1: there one? The two two very close friends of mine that I had met in college I met many good friends in college but there's two that I still consider brothers and uh, a guy called Nigel, a guy called Mark at the time we all, Nigel lived in Germany Mark lived in the UK and Nigel had a house in France right. and it had turned into a thing where we would show up maybe spend New Year's in France Right. it was about an hour outside Limoges and I turned up for the New Year's 2005 and by the time I arrived Three days before I mean it was obvious I was not in good shape Drinking too much Just even at the first dinner When we were together yeah. And then by the time We get to New Dessert Year's Eve, You're saying yeah. I don't like any of you, <laughs> well, well, did, you get, just, did you get cranky or A little what? cranky I guess a bit dark yeah. uh, No never Physically violent Probably a bit verbally Bolshy Yeah, yeah. But just drinking until there was no shut-off, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, seemed to grow, I seemed to acquire energy through it as well, yeah. which was unfortunate. Any so, other drugs? Uh, occasionally, but not by design. Right. Just, just by poor judgment. And I remember Mark and Nigel, who had spent three years with me at college. And they'd be getting hammered with you, but you were just yeah, getting but, doubly hammered. But I yeah. thought everybody got hammered like me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I realize now is, okay... This is how people drink. Yeah. Um, but they could see it at the time through even if they were a few beers in, they could see that I was quite a few more beers yeah. than they were, and they pulled me aside at, in a thoughtful, sensitive way and said, "Look, we're concerned about you." Okay. And I guess that was a signal, and I like. And, by and the time, was that out of the blue for you? Did you not no? That? By the time <laughs> they said that, I said, "Look, I, yeah, I." Yeah. understand that and, and I like quite neat cut off points in my life so yeah. I, in my head I thought okay well, I'll, well there was a light bulb yeah and I thought well I'll use the new years thing when everybody's given up mm. as my moment to just start a new thing mm. that would be my beachhead the mm. first month of January in 2006 would be a beachhead that hopefully I could get beyond by the end of that yeah. month and move into a new world that was my plan and, uh, and so I set off on January 1st 2006 no drinking, like many other people, and I wobbled on about the twenty third of January. I got hammered, right. but then got back on it thankfully, yeah. and, uh, and then I haven't drunk since. Really, and that's fantastic. Okay. One
0: wobble—that's very good. Yes, and you didn't do any AA or any of that. You just sort no. of said bang, and that's rare that people. Can, but I can actually, because I know you quite well. I can see how you, your personality is. It's again, it's, and it's it, it's you, by the way. It's it's yeah. Maybe they said something, but then you go away. Yeah. You probably have a pint, and get drunk, and think about, it and they go right. That's it. I'm going to stop. And that's just that was one of those discipline. ones where.
1: Well, I think there were there are other. You know, there's there's two ways of progressing through life, aren't There, there are either you're either running away. You get somewhere by running away from where you come from. Guilty. Or you go somewhere because you're running towards something mm-hmm. you aspire to. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously, life is made of a bit of both. I think there were, when I talk about the earlier pieces, whether it's the getting an education inspired by that French girl, going further and going to university in the UK, getting the PhD scholarship, these are all things that I saw a glimmer and then I, I aspire to that and thought yeah. I'd like that in my yeah. life. By the time I got to the alcohol piece, that chapter, that crossroads... You know, I'd like to think it was a. I aspired to a life of sobriety. Yeah, I wanted to run away from those horrible nights. Yeah. yeah, what yeah. was a, what was a disaster and getting into risky situations. I mean, yeah. uh, it really does change your life. And I'll tell you what happened then when I gave up. You know, at that point I had become so insular that I didn't have a social circle, so yeah. I didn't have that risk of like, how do you explain to other people that you're not drinking in the bar? <laughs> so I didn't go drinking in bars at that yeah, point. Strangely. yeah yeah. Uh, so I was able to kind of start again, and what was interesting is then you're so programmed, given our background, that Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you go out. If you don't go out, you haven't had a weekend. Yeah. So that has been that's becomes a reflex at that point. So when I would get to a Friday then, in the first two or three months, working in a top ad agency in London, everybody's going out, can't wait, drumming their fingers at five yeah. o'clock, want to go out to the local pubs in Covent Garden. And I'd slip out a little earlier than them, and I'd walk down to Leicester Square, and there was a Tower Records there.
0: right?
1: And I'd be 50 pound guy, they used to call him. Like 50 pound guy was a guy with a bit of money, and he'd yeah. go in, he'd buy 50 pounds worth of, uh, of albums and right. DVDs and stuff. Right. And I'd go in, I'd spend two or three hours early on a Friday night, and I started to discover music again. It seems funny talking about CDs now, but that became my new ritual. I'd okay. look forward to that. I'd go. Do you think it was
0: important to Fill the hole with. Yeah, you had to right. replace some
1: kind of what was a reflex with another ritual. Yeah. I, think. I mean, yeah. eventually I just sort of stayed off the social radar basically yeah. for effectively a year. And that was again another transformative chapter in my life where for the first time in my life I discovered a sense of calm and control. I'd walk around London sober, I would read, movies. Um, listen to music, see yeah. movies. I was all by myself at that point I was very much like off the matrix
0: were you lonely? yeah
1: I mean uh, yeah uh, you know what I wanted to leave behind as well was this sense of chaos because alcohol brought chaos to my life and uh, made my life chaotic so I wasn't just giving up this liquid I was giving up this chaos and for that year in 2006 I had a sense of like a sense of calm a sense of control a sense of things you know I was putting away a bit of money for the first time in my life I was able to make clear headed decisions I was as productive in work as I ever was I was was in control of things and it was a wonderful feeling and towards the end of that year of you know here was my life starting to I had enough distance then from 2005 to be able to say I could do this I could live like this this is good actually And I had started to reform, you know, build new habits and towards the end of that year I got a call. This is where HSBC comes back in. I got a call for a job in New York. They wanted me to come over and work in the HSBC business Mm -hmm. at J. Walter Thompson New York where you and I met. And that Mm -hmm. was 2006 and in November 2006 I left New York, I left London. At that point I'd bought an apartment Probably made the decision to buy the place when I was drunk or hungover. <laughs> to be honest with you, the year you know before the Christmas. Come November 2006, after nearly a year of sobriety, I you know, packed up everything. I cleared up the apartment. I let it out, pulled the door behind me, and a, a limousine from Virgin, you know Virgin Atlantic, came yeah. and picked me up yeah. and, and drove me to Heathrow. They were the days. Uh, seriously, I couldn't. Yeah. You know, again, like here I was,
0: first class over to a year no, of distance
1: class. between where I was and a yeah. lot of chaos and I'm being flown business class to New York yeah. this lad from Tala dream come true for many people and certainly dream come true for me so I yeah. I never even been to America never even been to New York really? but what's not to so do
0: and at what point did Ecken walk into your life so this is where it,
1: you know again pivotal moment so I take the job and I met Ecken in, in, at some point in December 2006 and we would just bump into each other in the office. And she was working there. She was working there. Right. She popped her head up out of cube one day, and I just looked at her and thought, wow. And uh, and then I thought about it. Was, I was it the
0: first girl you'd met, really, since you gave up drinking? Was, 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 like, yeah. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. So I
1: went to America. You know, my mum and my aunt thought, maybe meet a lovely girl <laughs> They had ambitions for me, because I had... No, in, in this sort of year of sobriety, I hadn't. I wanted nothing more than just to get my head straight. Right. I didn't want the complexity of a relationship because alcohol had fucked up a lot of relationships. But this is where, you know, serendipity has a way of stepping in, isn't it? So I meet Ekin and, and she definitely made a real impression. I looked at her and thought, wow. And, but because in my head, my rational side is saying, well, I'm not interested in the relationship and I'm yeah. going to stay by myself. I didn't even contemplate a maneuver. Mm. And then at some point in January, Ekin, the Turkish girl who popped her head up out of the cubicle, she just arrived in an elevator one night when I was in the lift about to head down. She just put her hand in the door. The door ah, she like just opened. Doors. Yeah, she just came into the elevator and we're stood there, just the two of us. And this is a typical New York ad agency, yeah. big glass skyscraper. Yeah. And we're working our way down. And without even thinking about it and this is sister. something I could never do. No <laughs> <laughs> not quite as around it, but I did turn to her and say, Would you like to go for a coffee? If I had ever thought of something like yeah. that, it sounds pathetic, but I'd never I met Irish before through we're, I met people before I met people before having had a few pints, you know yeah. and everybody's inhibitions are lowered and it's yeah. just one big messy melange. Yeah. And here I was in an elevator and I just turned and asked her that and she said yes and we walked that night for six hours. Really? Yeah, we walked out of Lexington 466 Lexington Avenue where we worked and we walked all the way downtown and we walked through the West Village did you get a coffee or were you starting off in places we got a coffee and but we walked and talked yeah. right. and we talked about a lot of things that we just couldn't quite Boom. believe that we had the same interests but wow. obscure interests as well did you go home with a spring in your step then that night? Well, I thought, well, this well, is a little bit tired after the six hours walking. I thought, I thought this is pretty amazing, but it sort of runs counter to my plan to be by myself. Here's this, yeah, really amazing person that she's beautiful, and uh, we would go and walk out together at night. Nothing more than that. We would just walk and talk and drink, you know, coffee and tea in all right. these different places around New York. Yeah. And then like for a few weeks or something yeah for a few right. weeks okay. and uh, very old school and yeah. then eventually we got beyond the coffee did
0: you kiss under the bridge or something or it was you? probably a moment like that Yeah. like the Italian time. guy in Brooklyn The movie. it's a little bit like <laughs> that it was a little <laughs> bit like that Ekin is a, uh, a art director a digital art director she's We're a creative actually, director at uh, one of
1: the of top like I guess you'd call it a digital agency yeah, here. yeah. she makes apps websites and she's
0: Turkish and then I met them both when they were married and they then they were still at, well he was at JWT they decided that's it I've had enough uh, we're going off to set up something in Turkey tell me why you did that
1: yeah that was one meeting too many Yeah, you know, one bad meeting too many so we meet and we fall in love And oh, that's not one
0: bad meeting with Ekent no, no. that's one <laughs> bad advertising meeting with.
1: after we uh, we have our sort of long courtship we get together we get beyond the coffee and we fall in love and we are the yin to each other's yang that's us you know we're connected and and we did three years together we lived together on the upper west side in New York City next to Central Park both working in advertising and then one day in 2009 I just texted her one day and said should we get out of here and she said yeah and she called her mum who's seven hours ahead in Istanbul or in Bursa and said, Mom, we're we're gonna come home. She said, Oh great, when? Probably in about four four or five weeks. She said, For how long? We're not sure. We're leaving the States and we're gonna spend the summer with you. So that was we figured that was around May, we figured we could be with them in by July and then we would see uh, the rest of the summer mm-hmm. and maybe even the early autumn with her mum and dad mm-hmm. in Turkey. And I still have photographs from that day Pull the door in the apartment again, like that scene in New York, in, in London. Pardon.
0: What was the reason, though? What was the reason? Um, you know, it, it was one meeting that broke the camel's back. Well, for me,
1: it felt like a. I've just described all these steps along the way, and it did it did feel like a marathon where you had really covered some distance and you really had accomplished something, but it was absolutely exhausting. Because yeah. bear in mind, there was trying to find my feet after my leaving, cert. That was just the Irish chapter. Then it was leaving home, living you know, in a foreign country, going to university, trying to figure out a world. Mm-hmm. they trying to start out as an adult. Then trying to make a career, starting out in advertising. And then through all of that, prog- getting into a progressively darker place mm. with alcohol, You know, various relationships along the way. And by the time we reached that moment in May in 2009... I thought, wow, I'm really burnt out, really exhausted. And you could feel like going, walking up the steps in the subway each morning, felt like you were carrying lead. Physically, I could feel the emotional exhaustion.
0: Mm.
1: And I also figured, I feel like I have enough now in the bank. Because bear in mind, I had been doing the job a few years. I'd been working at some great places on some great clients, earning quite good money. I figured we could just step off for a little bit. Without,
0: fear. I, we we were friends then, and you saw the same in me, right? I mean, I used to be just a mess coming out every night. We'd be working ridiculous hours, and but it was pretty toxic. I and mean, it was it wasn't, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't friendly. It wasn't jo- joyous. It was, it's, it was, its how you
1: would imagine advertising in New York City to be. And, you know, that's a, bit, a good point. A bit. Uh,
0: cutthroat yeah
1: a bit cutthroat uh, always on weekends late nights politics backstabbing and even if you were you know if you weren't privy to the game you knew it was going on your yeah. instinct could pick it up your, your antenna was twitching all the time yeah. you know it was a very insecure sort of environment and i think advertising you're only as good as the last meeting you've had the last idea yeah. you've had and it's a perpetual sort of you may be getting paid well but it always feels a little uh, like a house of cards after you've been doing that for 10 years it gets draining.
0: So, what was it like living
1: in Turkey? So, we took the summer with Ekin's mom and dad, and it was blissful. And within forty-eight hours, all the worries of advertising yeah. and all that went away, and yeah. we just enjoyed this—you know, watching the. There's no line on the horizon between the sky and the sea, and it was absolutely blissful. And we had breakfast every morning with Ekin's mom, and her dad would come back, and we'd have dinner, and it was just that was life for a few months. And then a little bit like the summer passing back in the day after my leaving, cert, the summer passed, and then I found this reflex coming back to, on my part to, shit, what am I going to do? Make something? Yeah, I've got to do something. You know, I've, got to, I've got to work. Or Ekin and I started to do some really interesting projects with with other people. Um, very unusual mix of projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was uh, one of my friends from college. He had gone on and uh, served in the in the army, and uh, he had seen action in many places He's and he'd made contact, contacts in, in various parts of the world and at the time when we were in Istanbul the, the Somali pirate Gulf of Aden uh, thing was happening mm-hmm. so 80% of the world's trade still goes by boat and a good chunk of it goes around the Horn of Africa Yeah, and there's a lot of lawless countries around there and that was yeah. you know where you had a lot of uh, piracy going on yeah and a lot of these these boats were legitimate targets uh, and being you know taken off course and brought into bays and having their contents unloaded or the crews were held ransom. There was a there was a real demand being created for security professionals to, to essentially escort these ships. And so some friends of mine set up one of these maritime security firms. But these were three guys who had come out of 10, 15 years of service. And didn't have anything other than their laptops and experience. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we set them up with a, you know, a strategy, uh, a social presence, website, business cards, oh, uniforms. Okay. Logos, everything that they would need to start to at least.
0: So you had your own, like, design company?
1: Yeah, we, could, we created a little studio. Ekin was the designer. I was the strategist. You know, I could think it, she could make it. And we hustled our way through two years in Istanbul. So I
0: then brought you back to New York. What? What? Why did you decide to come back? I mean, because it was it was tricky getting you back. Uh, Yeah, but you've been in the same job for well, you know, you've obviously climbed the ladder, but you've been in the same company since you came back, which was two thousand and twelve, right? Or
1: yeah, and I think eleven.
0: Yeah, we came back in 2011. We got
1: to Turkey in 2009. We left in 2011. And that was very unusual. We, You know, you think when you do three years in America, you think, that, okay, that's your American chapter. You don't do it again. We figured after about two years, we thought, okay, well, we've got a choice. We need to stay here. But that didn't feel right. It felt like our our experience in this was going to be a temporary one. Just enjoy it for what it was and then yeah. get back onto the Matrix. Get yeah. back. We had a profession. We were going to do that again. But we figured we'd go to London maybe Amsterdam maybe Scandinavia and then you got in touch and uh, the project just seemed too good to turn down Um, so as I say like to make a U-turn and go back to the States was really unexpected on our part but that's why if I was hesitant it was it just ran counter to the plan I had in my mind but then again it's you know life is like a part strategy part serendipity isn't it and you just have to at some point allow that sort of The intersection between the two to just sort of take hold. I I suppose I became a, if I look back in the beginning and the direction, the the rudderless sort of uh, journey I took through school, I was a captive to serendipity. I just kind of just washed down the river. And the thing that got my life, got some direction into it, was a sense of goal and then the ability to create a strategy to kind of get myself somewhere. Even if I couldn't see exactly what was beyond the mountain, I started to climb it when you see the virtues of that you can become a little rigid I have to say I, I became a little bit too strategic in the way not just yeah. in my work but in the way I sort of planned my life I could probably get a little like stressed if I didn't have enough control over it yeah. couldn't see what was ahead of the, yeah. the vehicle all the time but now I've sort of seen the value of the other side too so it's you know the, the serendipitous side
0: so we had a crack at the, 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 the project that Gordon spoke of there was the two of us had a crack at relaunching globally, the Gillette brand, which was kind of stuck in sort of 1982 and in our view needed to become a brand of more substance and meaning. Gordon did a huge amount of work on that. Uh, P&G in their wisdom decided not to go for it. And in my view, they're still stuck back in maybe 1989 now. And it's sad when something like that, when you kind of know you have the answer or you're close to the answer uh, and the client doesn't see it the same way. What Uh, is your next light bulb before we finish what is the next 7 to 10 years going to bring or are you just going to flow
1: you know when I talk about this sort of blend of a strategic outlook on life where it's a series of setting objectives and a series of going after it I'm a little lighter on that now and I'm a bit more enjoying the serendipity of it yeah I just have this life now that I've created with Eck, that is absolutely blissful. Look, we all have our own sort of emotional crosses we carry and so on, and I, you know, still a sliver of that. You know, there's still there's a reason why I drank like that, and still a sliver of that that I carry. But if I look at my life from the outside in, I'm incredibly lucky. Yeah. I mean, really, really, really very yeah, lucky. Yeah. I've accomplished things that many people would just aspire to. I've seen a, really a good chunk of the world, um, been to a lot of exotic places, through work and through my own choice. You know, I don't have to worry too much about money, but I've found my kindred spirit in Ekin. And I mean a true kindred spirit. Like we, Yeah, no, you're great together. We yeah. are Velcro. You know, she's the curly Velcro, yeah. I'm the spiky Velcro, and it works.
0: Gordon, that was uh, great uh, catching up. I found out a lot more about you that I didn't know, actually. And um, I wish you and Ekin all the best. You're great together. You were the first uh, people who I was hoping to interview together, but I'm still a bit scared of my interview uh, skills <laughs> or lack thereof to, uh, to, to, to spin those plates. So I'm definitely going to have Ekin on yeah. the show and get her side of the story. Maybe we'll run them back to back. But uh, listen, uh, great that everything's going so well, in your career, uh, and uh, loved the chat, I love having a chat. Thanks for being so... Thanks, for.